FMX Network Production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know a new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blendsall, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, and Fly Racing. Good morning. It's Sunday. We're a week away from racing and this is industry seating. I am your host, Jason Thomas, and I'm, uh, I'm getting ready. Went through all of the protocols this week, signed documents and generally doing everything that is asked of me to be able to attend next week's return to racing in Salt Lake city. Super excited about it. I have, I have actually a big week ahead of me in my real job at fly racing, but once Friday rolls around, I will be headed immediately down to Salt Lake to get tested on my way into the city. We need a 48 hour window there before we are allowed in the perimeter. Uh, basically need to get tested on Friday at the latest Friday morning, get my test results back at the latest on Sunday morning. So I am allowed in the, uh, rice stadium perimeter. We will get into some of those details, some of the requirements, and a, and a lot of the cautionary steps that Feld is taking, and I'm sure many of those are mandated by the state, but they have done an excellent job on their end from what I've seen, and I'll cover some of the things that have been shared with me as far as how they're going to keep everyone safe and take the safest possible measures to go back to racing. would like to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Pirelli Tires, Blenzall Oils, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, and we have a new one this week, 612 Suspension, and of course, Fly Racing. But let's talk about how this is all kind of playing out. Uh, I was in in-depth talks with Feld and really wasn't sure if I was going to be included in this list, but it came down to being a service provider as well as Western Power Sports and Fly Racing are a very involved sponsor for this series. So we were granted one person to be admitted and I was lucky enough to be chosen as, as that person. Uh, I will be there to help in an emergency with any equipment and hopefully nothing goes wrong there. I don't need to do anything because we we're really not allowed to interact with teams, but if there is something that is needed, I will have that with me. And then, of course, more uh, appropriately, I will be there to help coordinate with media and social media and acquire materials to share with the public and obviously represent Western Power Sports at this event. So I will be wearing a lot of hats. And the cool part for me is it's, it's great timing because we launch our pre-book for the 2021 fly racing line on June 1st. So I will be on screen with all of our great Western Power Sports reps all week this week. We do these YouTube live videos. And once that's done on Friday, I will be on uh, a rapid pace south to get tested. Uh, hopefully I can make it to the Salt Lake area to the testing center by, I'm gonna hope by 11-ish, get tested. And then, yeah, I'll start my weekend and get ready for the race. But going back to June 1st, which is Monday, I will be able to go out with our reps and sell our new line to dealers or at least get pre-booked so they are ready to receive their delivery in August. So great timing for me. Otherwise, I don't know that I really could have pulled it off as far as being somewhere for a week or two. But with timing and being able to go sell the new line, it makes sense. Uh, the Utah area is a great market for us. We have a, a lot of uh, really valuable dealers there that are excited to see the new stuff. So I can... I say kill two birds with one stone, but I guess that's exactly what's happening. I am excited to go down there. You know, obviously we will be social distancing and there are many, many, uh, I don't want to say rules, but certainly guidelines that we have to follow. Social distancing being the key one of those. We're not allowed to obviously shake hands or have any physical contact with anyone, 
nor get near anyone. So it's, it's going to be a very strange environment for anyone like myself who has been going to these races most of their life. It's going to feel weird because normally it's a lot of, you know, talking and hanging out and, and, you know, to steal a phrase from Steve Mathis, broing down, that's going to be at a minimum, if any at all, you know, uh, where I will be most of the time, I'm assuming will be in the press box. There will be a lot of talking, I'm sure. And, and we're going to do a lot of social media stuff, uh, on the fly racing USA Instagram. So please check that out. That's going to be really cool. I'm excited to do that, but it won't be the same vibe that normally, you know, normally I'm bouncing around to different race trucks and, and talking to my friends there. And, and there's a lot of socializing that goes on during the downtime. Of course, I normally run my, or not mine, but the, the VIP program for the Rocky Mountain KTM team. Of course, we won't be doing that with no fans in the stands, but it's just going to be a completely different day. Normally, I get there really early. I'm usually there by, let's say, 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning. For this particular event, they are, or well, I guess the next seven events, they're asking us to not arrive until, you know, the last minute possible, really, they don't want us on site for any more time than necessary. So for me, it's probably going to be more dictated by me getting my test results back because I will probably be the latest arriving member, I'm guessing, because I have these very important videos on Friday morning that I, I can't miss. But as soon as I get my test results, I'll probably head over to the venue. But there, there certainly is a very different ask, you know, normally if you're a part of the media or a sponsor, or whatever Feld is so welcoming to these events, as far as please capture all the content you can. And let's really share the message to all of our great fans and spectators and, and try to grow the sport. Well, for this one, I'm sure that sentiment is still there. Just how we go about it's very different. You know, it's basically, and, and I'm paraphrasing here is come in, cover the race and get out because we are really trying to make sure this goes off without a hitch. We don't want personal interaction. We just want the bare minimum to accomplish the goals and, you know, cover the sport as well as you can for all of your media outlets. And of course the television coverage I'm sure will be amazing because you look at the the scheduling and the timeframes and how desperate, you know, NBC sports is for content. I think we're going to get crazy good engagement on that end just for all of us attending, it's going to be feel very different. Now I'm sure all of that social distancing will continue once we're back at our hotel. And that's going to be really cool because myself, Jason Wygant and Steve Mathis, I know that for sure. We're all staying at the same hotel in downtown Salt Lake. So yes, we will maintain our social distance and we will not, you know, uh, have any contaminating contact, let's say we, we won't get close to each other or anything like that, because the last thing we want to do is, is get sick while we're there or take a chance, but there will be lots of opportunities for us to sit around and catch up and create content, which is great. I think for everyone who is involved in the sport, because I can't think of a time where in my life, anywhere, my history with those two characters, where we've been able to sit around multiple days and just dream up videos to do audio to do, and it's going to be a content bonanza. It's going to really be awesome. We're going to be doing the Pulp MX show from there. We're going to be doing our race recaps on racer X from there, by the way, go buy some racer X subscriptions. The digital subscription is only 99 cents. So go check that out. But it, literally we're going to have lots and lots of downtime to create this stuff. And I'm excited for what's going to come from that downtime you know, they're going to have more than I do. I'm, I'm going to have to go out and do my real job throughout the day. But you think about before and after that and on the weekends, it's just going to be brainstorming time for all of us. And you've seen in the past where we've gone with some of that stuff. We've created some really cool videos and, and audio from really just the available time. You know, normally we'd be flying back and spending time at home and doing, you know, work at home. Obviously, Jason Wagon spending time with his family. That's going to be at a minimum for now. So we'll see how this goes. But just to give you an idea of a few of the, the guidelines, it's really just the same things that we've been asked to do by whether it's the CDC or whoever you're, you're listening to these days. But basically, just stay away from each other. You know, we're going to have temperature checks. Everyone that is allowed in and out is going to have 
documentation of being tested for COVID-19 on them. And, you know, they're really just trying to limit the possibilities of once everybody gets in and they're, they test negatively, obviously that's a prerequisite to get into the, the venue. From there, they just want to make sure that that stays the same. So there are hard caps. Uh, it's spelled out in the documentation of basically who qualifies and who wasn't. And it's, it's a tight list. You know, it's the bare minimum for media, the bare minimum for staff. And honestly, I feel pretty lucky to be included, but there's a 900 person cap for the venue completely. So whether you're in the paddock, whether, you know, outside the venue, what have you, there's a 900 person cap for that. And then inside the venue. So basically inside the stadium, whether that be the press box on the track, in the tunnel, whatever, uh, to get inside, you know, the, that venue perimeter, it's 400 people. So I know they have this all mapped out and it's difficult for me to tell you over audio, but they have a very, very clearly laid out program and it's pretty awesome. Uh, I don't want to say it put me at ease because I wasn't that concerned, but if you have concerns, the job that Feld and the state of Utah have done on this is extraordinary. They deserve a lot of credit because as Jason Wygant texted, he said, whoever wrote this, I think he tweeted it as well. Whoever wrote this plan up is very, very good at their job. It is so thorough and so easy to follow. You can just tell it there was revision after revision after revision before anyone else ever saw it because it just answers every single question you could ever come up with. So kudos to them. Great job. And I think it ensures that this is going to be a successful venture and we're going to get these races done. So a couple other things that are in there, um, not, not that are going to change the racing, but will surely be unique. Uh, one I saw that you know, kind of jumped out at me was one rider only to the starting line. And if you've been paying attention in years past, which I'm sure you have, you may not even notice, but it's normally just a cavalcade of people down to the starting line, whether it's goggle guys or tire guys, mechanics, you know, engineers, there, there are people everywhere down there. What's going to be much more like MXGP and that that's not the goal, but it's what it's going to look like. There's going to be almost like a park firma area and then one rider goes to the, to the line by himself. Now, luckily this change we've, we have the greats for supercross. Now, could you imagine these riders trying to pack their gate and their hold their bike and deal with all these things going on? They have to add fuel after the hot lap. There, there are so many things at a Lucas oil pro motocross race that go on at the starting line compared to a supercross race. So a little bit fortunate there. It does raise the question of what will Lucas oil pro motocross look like there will we have to go through any of these guidelines or, or will it be more of normalcy? I'm leaning more towards normalcy. I don't see how we could have fans at these events for motocross without allowing a rider and a mechanic down on the gate, but you know, together. So we'll see how that plays out. But that was one thing that jumped out to me right away. Um, I am kind of interested to see how the, the track layouts go just in the conversations I've listened to, uh, I listened to a great podcast with Dave Prater. It's actually just a, a conference call that uh, racer X put out on their podcast network, but he kind of laid out what would be possible and what wouldn't. It sounds like on the days that there are extra time. So remember we're racing on a Sunday, then a Wednesday, then a Sunday. So there's an extra day in between the Wednesday and Sunday events moving forward. So I think you'll see more track changes on, on those rounds. So let's say round one and two, I think you're going to see a pretty similar layout where rounds three and four might be significantly different than one and two. And I I'm purely speculating, but I'm just looking at the time constraints and I know that that's going to influence a lot of it because I think on, if, if we're racing Sunday and then Monday, Tuesday, they're just going to try to get things back to normal. I think you'll see some lane changes as far as the same layout, but different combinations. And maybe you had a set of whoops here and jumps on the next straightaway. You could flip those over, but you're going to see the same basic layout. If that makes sense, where rounds three and four, I think you'll see a completely different track design and that extra 24 hours will give them the time 
to, you know, you have, you have to remember they have to change a lot of things. They have to change the whole finish line structure. They have to weigh the timing loops out. There's a lot of, you know, infrastructure stuff on the track. It's not just moving dirt around. There's a lot of planning and laying out and they have to stake everything. And there's a lot of work that goes into a completely new track design. The good news is the dirt's already in there. That's obviously the most time consuming part of it, but that's just another factor to see how this goes. I have not seen or heard any plan of what those track designs will look like. I had someone want to say, tweet me and ask if I thought they would use the re- remaining track designs, you know, say, uh, let's say Foxborough and Vegas, if they were going to try to utilize those. And I would say, no, I think they will come up with new ones. I, I don't see why they would try to continue on with the old designs I, you know, every stadium's a little different. For example, the Glendale, floor is very large. It's probably the largest floor, uh, square footage that we have. Now Rice Eccles is pretty small. It, it is a football stadium. So you're going to see the longer straightaways versus the, uh, Anaheim baseball diamond sort, but you can't use the same type of track design for each track because you're dealing with a, a different area to work with. Now, the one contradictory statement to that is if you look at the, the races that were left, Indy canceled, right? That was the one I was sitting in Indy when it got canceled. Indy, Detroit, Seattle, Denver, Foxborough, Vegas, and Salt Lake for Rice Eccles. Those are all football stadiums. So maybe they can use some of those track designs. I just think it's difficult for them to completely flatten everything and then rebuild based off of a track design that was maybe built for, let's say Seattle, their stadium. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a track builder, but I I can't see them just using those track designs because they feel like they have to. I think they're going, everything about this racing is going to be what's possible and what's not. And they're just going to do what makes the most sense at the time. I think they're going to be decisions made on site and there's not going to be a lot of planning where they, they put out all these you know, track maps early or anything like that. When another aspect of that is they're not doing a track walk and I'm kind of wandering over these points that are, have been in this paperwork I've seen, but normally in the morning, say typically 10 30 on a normal schedule, the riders get to go do a track walk and it's, let's say 30 to 45 minutes. And then that would be followed by riders meeting and chapel service. Well, now that's going to be completely erased. And they're going to do a rider's meeting via zoom. So the riders will have to be on their phone or on their laptop or whatever to go through a rider's meeting and track walk is no longer. Now, how they will handle that is the first free practice. There will be a three minute wheels on the ground flag. And for those of you who don't know what that is, you basically can't jump anything. It's just like, it sounds don't jump anything. Don't obviously don't do the triples but it's to learn the track because this will be their first time seeing it. They're not going to be allowed to get in to look at anything. They won't be provided the track map beforehand. So they're going to have to roll around the track, probably stop in sections and look at it. And they're going to get three minutes. You probably, they're probably going to get two laps at the speed they're going on it. And then free practice would commence. Now, remember free practice doesn't count for anything. So just consider that entire free practice as a, an opportunity to learn the track and know where it's going. Normally these guys would walk the track, you know, and I'm out there with them with the VIP program and they look at everything. They study sections, they look at options. So really when they go out for the first lap of free practice, even though it is wheels on the ground flag, they already know what they're going to jump. They have the rhythm section sorted out. They have a game plan for how they're going to execute the racetrack. And as that free practice goes, they figure out the jumps and really you want basically your last lap of free practice to be an exact copy of what you're going to do when you come back out for time qualifying. Ideally, and this doesn't always happen. That's why practice video exists. Ideally, when you leave free practice, you want to have the track completely dialed. You want to know, okay, this is the fastest way through here. I'm going to triple double or what have you. So when you go back out on the first lap, you're not worried about trying to learn the track or learn rhythm sections or anything like that. You're trying to just go faster and faster and faster. If you're jumping a rhythm lane, you're trying to pick up your overall speed through there, right? Stay lower over the jumps because the first few times you jump a rhythm section, you're really careful. You want to, you know, you kind of jump higher than you really need to. 
and you change your trajectory a little bit to make sure you catch the downsides. And it's, it's a real little bit difficult to explain how that goes, but if there's some big gnarly rhythm section, the first time you try it, you're not worried about how fast you're going through the rhythm section. You're only just trying to get it right. Make sure you don't crash and, and find the timing for it. Well, as you get more and more comfortable through that rhythm section, your level of caution comes down and you try to jump a little lower. So you're, you're going out instead of up and you just want your overall speed to be picked up. And that slowly happens throughout the day and the night. But you're hoping that first lap of time practice, that's where you're at. You're not concerned with putting the track together anymore. You're trying to maybe shorten a turn a little bit. And that means going to the very bottom of the corner to shorten the track distance and still be able to execute the rhythm section. And, and all those things are a steady process throughout the day. And that's why guys use Dartfish software. And if you've never seen that, it's a pretty cool a piece of equipment that helps riders find the fastest way. Obviously many of you have heard about lit pro, but all these tools are utilized throughout the day to build the fastest possible lap time you can and figure out what's the most efficient way around the track and coming back full circle. That's what you, that's where you really want to be at the end of free practice. It's not likely, you know, every time you go out, you're probably going to get a little faster and sort the track out a little better, but that's going to be, difficult for these guys. It's just going to be another wrinkle, not being able to walk the track and you're going to see the most adaptable riders. And that's a concept we're going to be talking about a lot over the next few weeks is adaptability. The most adaptable riders that can figure sections out quickly, they don't have to study and, and do all these things and walk the track and, and really take their time learning it. They're going to be the ones that respond the best. And that's going to be something that in every aspect of this return to racing is going to be critical. Can you adapt to being in Utah for three weeks straight? Can you adapt to the strain that elevation is going to put on your body? Can you adapt to the differences in your motorcycle being at 4,500 feet? All those things are going to come into play and how quickly you respond could be the difference between you finding your hundred percent at the first round or second round, third round, et cetera, and how many points you gain or give up to your competition if they are slower to respond or quicker. So just all these little ripple effects that are going on, I don't know how much not being able to walk the track will, will matter, but it will be interesting to watch practice and see who picks up the track quickly and who doesn't. Now, some of these guys, just from my uh, experience with this, a guy like Justin Brayton, really quick. And he's not in the title fight. I get it. But he's a guy, if, if I was racing, just my perspective, I would follow Justin Brayton around. If I'm, you know, Justin Barsha or Ken Roxon, especially Ken Roxon, because they're so close and on the same team, I would just tell him, Hey JB, I know this is kind of your thing. You jump stuff before everyone else. You figured the track out more quickly than other people. I'm just going to follow you around and let you time these things out for me. And that takes a lot of the guessing game out. Now I'm kind of talking about a guy like Ken Roxon, who's one of the most naturally gifted riders on earth. So maybe he doesn't feel like he needs it, but inserting myself into this situation, Jason Thomas is racing Salt Lake. If that's the case, I go follow Justin Brayton because I know his timing is impeccable. I know he doesn't usually make big mistakes and I would trust that I would trust his timing and ability more than my own. So we'll see how that all goes. And, and I, I don't know that you guys at home are going to be able to see all that. I don't, you know, free practice isn't usually televised and maybe they'll change that. Maybe there's such a demand and a use for that. Maybe if they do Supercross live with Jim Holly and Daniel Blair, I don't know if that's happening either. So I'm, I'm probably putting my foot in my mouth, guessing that that's going to happen, but I'm hoping that they take the opportunity to capitalize on all of this. If there are bikes on the track, let's show them, let's put it on the NBC sports gold app. There's nothing else going on. Why would we not? People would kill to have Sunday morning practice going on. And I'm sure they'll show the timed qualifying stuff, which they, you know, they have for years now, but let's show all of it. Let's show everything we possibly can and, and really try to capitalize on the content that's out there. But anyway, that's part of the, just a little wrinkle effects that are going on. Some of the other things I could see is a limited access to the engineers. 
there was a, there was talk of only allowing basically a mechanic and a rider in at one point, and that has been eased a bit. So I think the chassis guys, suspension guys, and those guys will be on site now, which will help them, but they won't be down on the track. So it's going to be more after practice in between sessions where they can make changes and things, but all those guys are going to be dealing with a lot of, uh, let's say restrictions is what they can do, what they can't do. Another factor is teams will not be allowed to interact with each other in person. So let's say, you know, the Cali guys and, uh, the pro circuit team, monster energy pro circuit and monster energy Kawasaki is how I should have phrased that. Those guys are generally very, uh, cordial and working together and talking. And there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of friends between the two teams. Well, that's not going to happen now. They, they will not be able to engage each other. They may be able to yell at each other from their, from their setups, but they can't go over and mingle and cooperate and, and ask questions or work on, you know, if someone like Adam Cincerillo is obviously really tight with that team. He was there for a very long time. He has a lot of friends there. He could go over there and ask, you know, riders, mechanics, Mitch Payton, Hey, what's going on with this section? What do you think about this? He's not gonna be able to do that. He can call him, you know, that that's one way he could FaceTime him or whatever, but all of that interaction, the social engagement is gone. You're not allowed to mingle in between teams. You're allowed to stay with your team. That's it. This will probably impact Steve Mathis the most. He is going to be devastated at the fact that he can't go talk to all these guys and steal coffee from them and and bum food off of everybody. But hey, we're all gonna we're all gonna suffer in our own way from these restrictions. Uh, I think for, for myself professionally, not having fans at the race is a bummer They're on multiple levels for myself and for fly racing, but we're just going to have to deal with that. I want to talk to you a little bit about Pirelli tires. Now they are one of the most racing oriented companies that I know of two wheels, four wheels all over the place, right? Formula one official tire. And this has got to be just killing them personally to not be able to go racing. So it's finally we're, we're bouncing back a little bit. The MXGP side is they're working on it. I think they have pushed again to August, but on a business side, business is booming. I, I know for personally from Western Power Sports, people are out riding because they're purchasing items from dealers. They're fixing their bikes. They're getting ready to ride because the, literally there's nothing else to do. You can't stay home and watch sports. A lot of people aren't really working or if they're working from home, which gives them the ability to build their own schedule and work around the times they want to go ride. You know, for me, when I was working from home, yeah, I have times I'm supposed to be on the clock, but guess what? When it was time to be off, I could go do immediately go do the things I wanted to do. And we've seen people riding everywhere. And I've asked all over, talked to Chris Kiefer, talked to Jason Wygant, and all these guys are super plugged into the OEM level, the dealer level. And out just riding too. Chris Kiefer rides more than anybody I know. And if there's been one silver lining to this pandemic, it's that everyone's riding. It's really awesome to see. And we were kind of joking that it only took a worldwide pandemic to rejuvenate our sport. There has been so much talk, speculation, questions raised with really no answers as to how to get people to get out and go riding again get kids off their iPads, get them off the video games and get out and ride their dirt bikes, which for all of us and most of you that are listening to this podcast, that's what you grew up doing. We grew up at motocross tracks. You know, Friday came, we got out of school, our parents got off work and we hopped in our cars, trucks, motorhomes, and we're at the track for the next two days straight riding, racing, spending time with all our friends. That was our childhood. And that's, that's happening again right now. And yeah, there's been a lot of pain, suffering, death that's happened in this pandemic. And we can never, uh, minimize that. But if there's been one good thing, like I said, that's come from this, it's that people are out actually riding again and spending times with their families at, you know, an off-road park or motocross track or GNCCs or what have you. So if you're doing any of that, which I know you are, it's what I just talked about, try Pirelli tires on your bike. I promise you, you will be very, very happy with the product. Now, another aspect of this back to racing 
for the riders is, are they going to practice? And Jason Wygant talked with, uh, Justin Brayton about this a little bit, and you can check that out on racer X online. But JB says he's not going to practice. He's just going to try to recover. Remember these guys are at altitude and there's going to be a lot of racing thrown at them in a very short period. And you also have to factor in the, that Justin is not racing the outdoor series. So he's going to have time off after this to really regroup and get ready for his Australian championship run, which comes later in the fall. But he doesn't have to worry about being ready for outdoors or training for outdoors or testing for outdoors. These other guys do. So that's going to be a very unique situation. The Monster Energy Kawasaki team has leased Bracken Hall Supercross track, and many of you will remember Bracken raced Supercross years ago. But he has a, a great facility, and Monster Energy Kawasaki has leased that for the month. So they will have a facility to ride, test, train at, which is a pretty big coup for them. Now, it sounds like Honda, whether it's Brayton or Roxon, probably wasn't going to ride a lot anyway. And Ken Roxon's wife is from Utah, so they do have some tracks they can go ride and facility to, facilities to use there. So maybe they will sneak in some outdoor training. But that'll be another interesting you know, wrinkle of this is who trains, who doesn't, who you know, takes that Friday each week, which is the main off day. Because if you think about it, Sunday, they race. Monday is recovery. Tuesday, you're not going to want to do a whole lot because it's the day before the race. Wednesday, you race again. Thursday, recover. Friday is that main day. If you're going to go test outdoors, you know, if you're Zach Osborne or Blake Baggett or these guys, you want to go test outdoors on that Friday. It's going to give you a day before and a day after of recovery. And you could really put in some serious work with an eye towards the Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championship starting July 4th. So just something to watch and, and that's going to be up to the media and social media to really share with who's doing what better to give us something to talk about. And, and we'll be able to kind of gauge that in real time. That's the cool aspect is, you know, whether it's Steve Mathis or myself or Weege or whoever, we, we know enough people and we'll be able to figure out who's doing what, and everybody's going to be kind of locked down in Utah. So there's not going to be a lot of, a lot of hiding or uh, keeping things secretive. And so what, you know, if guys ride or they don't, it's not going to really matter with that much riding and racing going on. You know, they're going to be racing twice a week. It probably doesn't matter, but these guys are such creatures of habit. Watching them deal with that much rest, or if, you know, if their trainer says, Hey, we're not doing a lot, we're just going to worry about the racing. (laughs) Those guys, are so used to their program and so used to just training, training, training to be forced to rest. It's going to be a very different dynamic for all of them. I want to talk to you about Blenzol oils a little bit. Now, Blenzol has been around forever. Seriously, I used to see Blenzol stickers around the WPS warehouse. And, and I remember going back way, way back, my earliest days of riding, seeing stickers, and I didn't know much about it. Well, they've really came back onto the scene as of late. If you've seen Michael Essie, you'll see Blenzol plastered all over him and his two stroke efforts. They're sponsoring the AMA vintage days that are going on, uh, this upcoming summer. And they partnered with the AMA in an official capacity to offer discounts to AMA members. So you can go to blendsall.com for more info on that. And don't forget with father's day coming up, you can get gift cards for your dad on blendsall.com. Go to at blendsall for their social media, but really happy. And it's an honor to be associated with a brand like blendsall. Another aspect of racing that's kind of going on is the Loretta Lens uh, regional, super regionals, I guess they are now. And for many of you, I'm sure you're getting ready for this. And some of the, the people I work with are, uh, they're going to be qualifying as well. So they were eagerly waiting this inf- awaiting this information. I thought it was pretty interesting to hear the reporters in the state of Pennsylvania kind of tattletailing on the regional that's going on at High Point. And listen, ma'am. The fact that your child is not allowed to play Little League Baseball, please don't try to rain on the parade for families that are trying to go race the regional. It really made me mad that just because your child can't play baseball, you're going to try to go to you know, the government of Pennsylvania and complain and ask why it's different. I thought Tim Cotter did a 
fantastic job of responding to that. And it seemed like there was a confusion on the side of the reporter thinking that thousands and thousands of people are going to be at the event, which is what happens for the national. But that's not what this race was. This is for a regional that's going to have a couple hundred riders for that particular weekend. And I thought Tim did a great job of diffusing that situation without coming off as contrite, because if it was me, I would have probably been a little bitter towards the said reporter. Uh, but yeah, it's we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying, you know, they created this whole committee to go back to racing safely. And this was, I think it's a 42 member committee that is dedicated to racing the right way. And, 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 creating guidelines so people can be as safe as possible and for the, all of that to be just kind of dismissed and poo pooed on for lack of a better term, uh, was pretty frustrating to see. But anyway, these regionals are upcoming and it's awesome. I, I love to see that we're moving forward. I was very worried that Loretta's was going to be canceled and that would be pretty brutal because as a, as a kid, Loretta's was all that mattered. And there are many more amateur nationals now than there used to be. But for me, Loretta's is still the one and decisions and sponsorships and all of your hard work was, was really geared around Loretta's. And I still feel that way. So if, you know, that would have been a, a huge black eye on the year if Loretta's was, was unable to go. And it's already been difficult. A lot of races are not able to be run. Greta Martin at Spring Creek, which you all know as, you know, I, I call it Millville more times than not. They have really been disallowed from racing so far. And she posted a, a Facebook note that their governor wasn't letting them race their area qualifiers and regionals. And uh, I should have more information on exactly where they are in that process. But I know she was pretty frustrated at the lack of cooperation from the the governor of Minnesota on this but at least we're getting something going. They, they released this super regional schedule, which is starting up here in June and we're heading towards some sort of normalcy at Loretta lens. Now, how Loretta's is executed. I don't know. You know, we still have two months to let the world heal some and get back to where we want to be, but I'm just happy that the events actually going to happen. I was very, very concerned that it was going to get canceled altogether. Now, as for the, Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Series, we're still in a holding pattern. What I do know, or I shouldn't say I know because I, I'm guessing, we're still on a, a path to be racing on July 4th. Now, if you've been following along on RacerX Online uh, social media or any of the outlets, you'll know that Redbud is not going to be on July 4th anymore. That's a pretty big bummer, but you can thank Governor Whitmer of Michigan for that. They have had a incredibly difficult time getting any cooperation. And if you live in Michigan, God bless you. I'm sorry for what you're going through. I don't have anything good to say about your governor. I'm sorry. I'm just going to leave that there. But, uh, you know, a casualty of that is we're not going to be at Redbud on the 4th of July this year. I'm hoping that she comes to her senses a little bit and, there is a Redbud National this year. I, I don't know that. You know, there has not been a schedule released yet, but we'll see. You know, I, I think the difficulties are in states like New York, states like Michigan. They're really dealing with, and, and you can take your stance on it. You know, New York has had the most cases of COVID-19 of anywhere, but Michigan's taken a really hard line on allowing anything to happen. I mean, they're allowing you to go out of your house. Look at California, LA County's still sheltering in place. And Gavin Newsom, I have some, some words I'd like to discuss with you as well. And sorry to get political on some of this stuff, but they're really impeding any chance for our sport to resume. And yeah, okay, you can say that's a very small piece of the overall picture and, and people are dying. And, and I get all that. I do. And I don't want to minimize any of that. It's a very serious situation. But I don't think that sheltering in place until the middle of July is the best thing for America. I just don't believe that. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not an epidemiologist, as I mentioned. That's just my opinion. Look at the states that have reopened. I'm sure there have been new cases. I have no doubt about that. But it hasn't been this 
epic health disaster that a lot of people warned it would be. And the simple fact is there's a lot more to the health of the nation than COVID-19. There's an economic health, there's a financial health. If people can't feed their families, you're starting a whole new crisis. So I hope that some of these governors come to their senses and we can go racing at places like Redbud and places like Unadilla and places like Paula this summer. So we'll, we'll play that by ear, but I don't like what I'm seeing coming out of these individual states where other places like Utah are bending over backwards to help our sport get back on its feet as long as we do it safely. And that's the key. Do it the right way and do it safely. I think there's a path to find some sort of normalcy there. So it looks like we're going to be racing, as I said, July 4th. I just am not at liberty to say where. Even if I've heard rumors, nothing has been confirmed, and they're still kind of fluid day-to-day on what's going to happen here. Take a minute to talk to you about Works Connection. Now, we've really been focusing on this Pro Launch Start device. Now, I noticed they posted a video on their on their Instagram. It's at Works Connection that's going to explain to you how their device works and it really makes it easy. And what I like about the works connection device versus some of the competition that's out there is this is really purpose built for your motorcycle. It's not a, an assembly set that is a do it all for every bike. This is purpose built for your specific setup, your fork diameter, all those things where it's really going to work best for you and you don't have to be an engineer to assemble your starting device like you do on some other some other brands and some other competition that's out there. So go check out Works Connection, worksconnection.com and if you want a whole shot, go pick up a Pro Launch Start device. Now I'm going to do some email questions. I appreciate all of you reaching out. I got some really good ones this week and thank the Lord that we're going back racing so we have new things to talk about and I don't have to try to conjure up stories from my past and heartbreak that I went through or almost dying in Guatemala or whatever. Uh, we're going to have actual racing and things to cover, whether it's on this industry seating podcast or all the other shows. And yes, we will be doing the fantasy podcast and moto 60 and the racer X review podcast and the pulp mech show and all these things we're doing them all. And there's going to be like every single day. So buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. But the first email question I have for today is from Michael Farrell. And he says, if you're a team manager or owner, how are you recovering from this financial hit during COVID? Oh, it's, well, actually, yes. How do you think you're going to be able to? His first thought would be, how do I bring added value to my sponsors in 2021 to help offset losses they're experiencing in 2020? Now, I have a different take on this because from what I've seen from a lot of moto companies, they're really experiencing an unexpected boom from this. Now, maybe they did lose some, you know, sales. They lost sales probably in March and April because things were so chaotic and and everyone was stuck in their house and no one could really ride yet and everyone was scared about losing their job. But really what I've seen in the industry and in talking to other companies, and like I said, we have all these contacts, whether it's dealerships or OEMs, things are going pretty well. You know, maybe it's difficult and challenging to get people into your store, but whether it's watercraft or side-by-sides or motocross bikes, these people are all selling all of the products they have because people are like, we got to go, we got to find something to do. Our kids are out of school. I can't go to work every day what are we going to do on the weekends? We don't have any sports to watch. Let's go riding. Let's, you know, and, and obviously people have to manage their finances, but there has been a significant uptick for a lot of the companies out there. And that's, that's not to say everyone, I get it. You can't generalize everybody, but for a, a vast majority of companies out there, they have seen sales go up and I don't know how long that's sustainable. When sports come back and and things change, hopefully our economy bounces back. I don't know how long we can keep this up, but it's it's been a very surprising kind of sidebar to this whole thing. And for sponsors, I hope that they can pay it forward. I don't I don't think that everyone's just going to completely pull out of racing or anything. I'm hoping that this all gets the ball rolling downhill. 
and we can see some significant interest from companies who maybe have been on the fence about jumping back into sponsorship. Uh, so I kind of got off topic with your specific question, but you know, I'm sure that teams are going to try to do everything they can to help sponsors, but I don't think it's been this catastrophic devastation that the question alludes to. And I'm hoping that that's really the case. And I'm hoping I'm accurate on that, but from literally every account that I have asked, they're doing better than expected. And let's just hope that continues on. And let's hope this resurgence in off-road riding, whether it's, you know, and even mountain bike companies are in this same boat, you know, and, and watercraft, there's a, a dealership in North Carolina. That's they're selling more personal watercraft and boats than they ever have. And you have to think that's just a, the simple fact that people have more free time and nothing to do at home. You know, there's nothing captivating on, on their televisions or, or these kids are finally sick of their video games or whatever. So let's just hope that continues on. Next question is from Jason Bennett and he, uh, he's asking for more stories. I'm kind of running out of stories, but I'll try to do my best. And I'm sure we'll have a little gap here in between supercross and outdoors. I will bring that back. I just need to kind of think of what else I can, uh, what I can do. And I guess, you know, Jason Wygant taught me a very good lesson is that some things that you believe are redundant and you've talked about a million times are brand new for listeners or people who haven't heard it. So don't take that stuff for granted. So I'll have to take his advice and, uh, come up with some new stuff. So he's, uh, he's a part of the, he races in the mid Atlantic motocross association. So he's kind of talking about fly supporting that series. Yes, we are uh, very big into the grassroots series. And obviously this is my opinion. I believe we're the most engaged and involved brand in racing with fly racing. Uh, so yes, uh, awesome to be involved and thank you for, uh, for being a part of fly racing as well. So his question, how much was the purse money for that Guatemala race you did? And he kind of throws some, some random numbers out here, but he's just trying to get context around the sketchiness. And it wasn't a lot. Um, if you think about this, this is going back to the end of a one and it, it would, I want to say it was around two grand that I got. It wasn't a lot of money. Um, and if you remember from the story, it was a last minute decision to go. It wasn't one of these races that I'd kind of planned my off season around. They called me on a Wednesday and I had to fly out Wednesday night, you know? So yeah, if, if I had no plans, I had nothing to do and they call you up and say, Hey, we'll give you a couple grand to come to Guatemala for the weekend. Yeah, I'm in I'm down for that. I think most people could understand you go, you know, a free trip to central America plus a couple grand for your trouble. You would do that. Uh, second question. If you could ask the moto gods to deliver one bike from your past to keep and ride forever, which bike would it be? And why was it so good? Now I like this question and I, couldn't come up with an immediate answer because I have a few qualifiers for it. Now, my favorite bike ever that I can remember was my 2005 CRF 450. The frame was just so great for supercross. And we just had such a, a really strong setup pro circuit had developed this engine for the, uh, Honda supermoto team that year was Jeff Ward and David Pingree and a few of those guys. They'd put a ton of time into the engine and they basically gave us that spec for my subway 450. And it was just crazy good comparatively at the time. And we made a switch to MB one suspension. That company is owned by a guy named, guy named Mike Batista, who is the MB and MB one. And Mike had come over from the factory Honda team. He was the suspension tech for factory Honda during, you know, Ricky Carmichael's run over there. And he brought those specs with him. So we had, we were running actually production based equipment, but we had the work spec in our bike and it was by far the best suspension I'd ever had far and away. I could hit the whoops better and, and still not great, but better than I had ever been able to do. And I had so much confidence in my setup comparatively. And for 05, Honda had taken the 04 250F frame and put it on the 450. So we got a really nimble, small motorcycle that was a lot lighter than the old bike, coupled with this engine package that Pro Circuit handed to us, coupled with the works suspension spec that Mike Batista had for us. So we had all these things really working together and synergy, and, and we really had a great bike. And I remember going to 
the off season races when I first got on the 05. And I was like, Oh, you guys are in big trouble because I knew how big of a step forward that motorcycle was. And I went and won a bunch. I went and won in Germany and, and in, uh, Vienna and all these places. And that bike was just such a leap forward. It's, it's hard to compare though, because the bike got better. Oh six. I didn't love, but you know, like the Oh eight bike was crazy good. But to me, that 05 always stuck out because it was such a, a giant leap forward and the engine package was so great from Pro Circuit. And we just had all these things that all kind of came together at once, right? And, and I'm sure all of you listening have had times in your life when just everything clicks, different aspects of life all click at once. That's how that 05 CRF 450 was for me. Now, when you look at it, you know, it didn't have fuel injection and it doesn't have a lot of the updates that have gone on since then. So it's always hard to compare eras and I'm trying, so I'm trying to kind of grade it on a curve because I'm sure if you took a 2020 KTM 450 SX factory edition, it would be a lot better than that 05 450. I'm sure it would. That's just the way bikes progress. And it's not really a fair fight between progression and fuel injection and the fuel maps, how much power they can deliver and traction control and all those things come into play. That's not a fair fight. So I don't want you to think I I believe that that bike is better than now. It's just one of those bikes where at the time, man, it was, it was lethal compared to what the guys and, and what the equipment that they had. Good question though. Number three, he asks, what is the one moto track anywhere in the world that you'd like to ride or that you did ride? Please describe the track, why you chose it and what Pirelli compound you would run there. I thought about this when I first read it, when I was kind of reviewing these questions and you know, this was a track that I have raced on a ton and it came down to two. I should start there. First was Bud's Creek, but you know, I raced there so many times and you know, had my best overall finish there, which was fifth overall. But I think a track, if I could go back in time and, and put it back to where it was in that moment in time and how much fun it was, it would be this track in Hardyville, South Carolina. And for those of you who have no idea where that is, it's right inside the border. And if you're on I-95 driving North, it's literally the first city and exit you come to when you leave Georgia. Now it was about three and a half hours from where I grew up. And we would go up there all the time. You know, if we had an off weekend from our Florida racing series, we did, or, and it was actually part of the, uh, Florida motocross series, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but you know, it was only a couple hours away. So they kind of grandfathered it in, but that track was just so amazing. And we would go up there and we were, we kind of made friends with the owners and we'd take the motorhome up there, my dad and I, and we would just stay the whole weekend and ride. And whether they had a race or not, you know, who cares? We would race if they did. We'd just practice if they didn't, but I would ride literally all weekend and we would get up there. Sometimes we got up there Friday in time to ride a little bit. A lot of times not. And I would just ride all day Saturday and all day Sunday. And on a holiday weekend, we'd even ride Monday morning before we, we drove back home. And it was just this track with amazing orange clay and it had these just giant tabletop jumps. And that was what made it the most fun for me because this was when I was on a 60 and an 80. I never rode this track on a big bike, but I could do all the jumps on my 80 and they were pretty big. You know, I was a top 10 Loretta's guy on, on my 80. So I was, you know, a good rider. I could jump pretty big jumps on an 80 and it would, it really was towards the very end that I could kind of jump everything, but it was this just really massive track that had all these really safe jumps kind of floaters. And then they had a night track too, that, you know, the, the night races would be on, that was a little shorter. And so you just got all this riding, all this hanging out. And it was just really good memories from that track. I never crashed. I don't think I ever had any big crashes there. I never hurt myself there or anything. And it was just one of those places where I remember the weeks leading up to going up there. I was just so excited to ride that track and you could just ride it all day and not get bored because the, the jumps were so fun. It really didn't get rough. I don't know why, if it, for whatever reason, even on race weekends, it, it, was, it wasn't a track I ever remember getting rough at all. Maybe it was just because they kept working on it or whatever. I know they didn't disc it, which is probably another factor in there. They always kind of graded it, but they just did such a great job with track prep there. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's a track that's kind of obscure. Most people probably never rode, but it was one that always stuck out to me as just being a great time. And it's gone now as so many of these great tracks are, you know, other tracks that popped in my mind were like Troy, Ohio, um, obviously Bud's Creek, as I mentioned this track motocross in Marion County just closed two years ago. That was a track I grew up on that I would, I would love to go, you know, spend laps on even today, um, and just reminisce on, but some of these tracks close up and steel city was another one that is no longer. And that's just, that's a bummer that these tracks end up going away, but you know, such is life. Another question from Hayden. He asks, what's my take on Supercross being one of the first live sports back? And can we target a new audience? Would it make sense to target platforms with huge followings like Joe Rogan or Barstool? How do we go about that? Now, this has been a subject that Steve Mathis has covered, or he talks about a lot anyway, is that our sport is what it is, and we're never going to really grab that audience that's not into moto. And I kind of agree with that to an extent. I do think we're going to get more eyeballs than ever before, but I think we're going to have a very hard time retaining those eyeballs. You know, motocross and supercross has always kind of been a a niche sport, and I don't think we're going to break out of that just because of, you know, the pandemic and, and more people looking for something to watch. We may get it for in the short term, but long term, I still think this is an enthusiast driven sport and we're going to have more or less the same long-term viewer base than we've always had. I'm totally up for it though. If, if Joe Rogan and Barstool and those huge platforms want to cover it and talk about it, great. There, there is no downside to any of that. In my opinion, I just don't think we're going to, we're going to convert someone who's never really been into it. And this isn't their thing. The fact that it's, they're going to see it maybe when they wouldn't before it and convert them. That's a really difficult task. Now let's try. We absolutely should try, but I don't like the success rate on that. Um, it will be a bit of organic growth. You know, you're questioning, how do we target it? It's just going to be, as you said, we're going to be one of the first ones back and more people are going to be wanting to watch something that's alive and not, you know, if, if you watch Fox and NBC and these channels right now, they're showing 2019 stuff, 2018 stuff. So to be able to watch something that's actually happening in the moment, they're going to want to do that. Same for me. I'm going to watch the Coca-Cola 600 later today. Would I normally watch that? No. I like NASCAR. I do. I used to be, actually, I used to be a pretty big fan of it. My interest has waned over the years just because I have a lot of other interests. But the fact that it's happening in the moment and it's live and nothing else is going on, they're going to get my viewership number, my, uh, I guess my rating, they're going to get it because they're actually on TV. So again, not to be a pessimist, I just don't think we're going to see this huge uptick in long-term viewership because of the situation we're in. Dustin asks, two quick questions. What Pirelli tire do you recommend for my blue crew? He rides tracks with dirt like Washougal. Now, I actually did a little bit of research on this, and I've been pushing the Pirelli MX32 Midsoft. I still think you can get away with it. Now, if you're, if you are riding tracks that are hard pack all the time, you could go to the mid hard, but I love that mid soft so much. And the only one I would really maybe go to is the front. I like the, the mid hard front quite a bit. I used to use it in supercross actually, but that rear tire, the mid soft rear, it's straight line drive is so great. And I, I would just run it on everything. I ran it on hard pack. Uh, soft terrain everywhere. Uh, so I would stick with the mid soft rear, but maybe try out that mid hard front. I want to talk to you a little bit about Plum Creek funding and Zach has been all over the place. He actually helped, uh, Connor Fields, BMX gold medalist with, uh, some refis he's working on, but it's unprecedented. These are unprecedented times. And I hate that cliche, but if you are in any sort of situation where you can buy or refinance, that's exactly what this is. We've never seen rates this low in the history of America. So if nothing else, you should reach out to Zach and ask, ask the question, basically, Hey, this is what my deal is. This is where I'm at. This is what my interest rate is. This is what I still owe. What should I be doing? And for me, just like he told me straight up, don't do anything. You just did a refi three years ago. Don't make a move. You're in a good spot. 
But for many of you, you may not be in a good spot and you could seriously benefit long-term financially by doing a refi. And if you're looking at buying, which is, is a great time to buy if you're financially capable, just ask him, lay out the situation and get his advice. If he can be your agent for the refi, great. If he can't, this is the Moto community. He's going to steer you in the right direction. So reach out to Zach, Plum Creek Funding. You can reach out at it on his Instagram. It's at Plum Creek Funding. And just call him up. His cell phone is 720-212-4685. And dude is super down to earth. And he's just out there to help. Obviously, you know, Plum Creek Funding is a, a business and they want to uh, get your refinance business if it's out there. But at the same time, like I said, he is there to answer questions and help however he can. Also want to thank our newest sponsor, 612 Suspension. Now, the owner of 612 is Ronnie Monk, and I've known Ronnie forever and ever. We grew up together racing, and his dad actually used to do my suspension. Now, Ronnie is, as that kind of goes, he's second generation, and he is partnered up with Racetech. But the biggest thing I think he has seen is a boom in you know, off-road riding and going along with that side-by-sides. So if you just want more performance, if you're racing, if you're not racing, if you're riding in the trails, or you just want your side-by-side to perform at the highest level, reach out to Ronnie. 612suspension.com at six, then the number one, two, suspension.com. And his Instagram is at six, spelled out S-I-X, one, two. So thanks to Ronnie and I hope all of you reach out to him. Cause like I said, I've uh, been using his suspension and his dad's suspension for a very long time. And he knows what's up. He is as moto as it gets. Dustin's second question is what's the maddest that I have been at Steve Mathis and what's <laughs> the maddest he's been at me as well. And what did he do to make me that mad? That's a good question. Um, you know what? The maddest I've been at him, I think, well, we get mad at each other politically a lot. We disagree on a lot of political topics, uh, but that's not real anger. We get really snarky with each other, but I'm not pissed off at him. I just disagree and we get, make very smart ass comments to each other. But I think in earlier days, Steve used to really push the envelope on sharing things that he shouldn't. And he, he never really knows where the line is for things that are personal and things that are able to be shared. And he's learned that over the years. He's really kind of taken his own temperature of what I should say and what I shouldn't. And he still screws up now and again, but he really used to push the envelope. And I think when he was trying to make a name for himself and really trying to find his own path with podcasting and, and his make no mistake, his show is the biggest in moto now. But I think he used to share some stuff and I'm like, dude, you can't talk about that. Like that's personal private stuff between me, you and our friends and whatever. And he would, he would say it on the air or even when I was on with him, I'm like, what is wrong with you? And I got really pissed off at him a few times over things he said on there that he shouldn't. And, uh, but yeah, nothing I can really talk about on air, but it was really more as a concept. He would just overshare on the show and he would forget that thousands of people are listening and he probably shouldn't say that. Um, so yeah, just back then we used to get in these huge arguments because you can't take it back on a live show. Like it's out there, whatever you say is out there. And yeah, we just have to deal with the consequences past that, whether it was personal or professionally, we would tell each other things in confidence and then he would share it in the heat of the moment. And he's, he has since gotten much better at that. And it's not just me. He would do it with things from, he had learned from like racer X Obviously we're tied in with a lot of people and we have a lot of information at times that we can't share. And that's just, that's just how it goes. Sometimes you can't always share information that you have. So, uh, yeah, it would, it probably would have been something along the lines of that. He would have shared something that I had told him in confidence and didn't want out. And then guess what? It's out there. Question from Tim and Tim's actually my buddy. So I appreciate it. Tim, thanks for reaching out. He says another sports athletes are intuitive and react to the crowd athletes know when something's up and the crowd makes noise now in supercross it's no different and you can hear what you know the crowd responds when things are going on on the track how do i think that the lack of a crowd will affect the riders in terms of adrenaline motivation or, or other advantages gained or lost 
Um, that's a, actually a good question and something we, Steve and I and Weege had been talking about a little bit. Now, for me personally, I was never really, you know, maybe it was an LCQ or something where I was winning, I, but it never really affected me too much. Like I wasn't responding to the crowd and, and didn't really care. But honestly, what I would notice most is if I was in the main event and there was a big battle for the lead going on and say I was whatever place I was in 12th or something, it would break my concentration when the crowd would go crazy. And I, you know, I'm such a fan, which is why I do this podcast and why I'm, I'm still so involved in the sport that I would be so curious as to what's going on. You know, I would, I would be doing my own thing and, and obviously worried about my own racing and, and my career and battling with someone probably. And I would hear the crowd go nuts and I would instantly want to look around and go, what's happening? Who's doing what? Like are Chad and Ricky battling? What did Stuart do or whatever? And I would have to snap back into, into the moment in my own little world because I, it was very easy to get distracted and think about what they were doing because the crowd is just going crazy at some of these races and you get so curious as to what was happening. Um, so I'm, I'm sure for those guys, yes, it absolutely affected them because momentum is a crazy thing. And if the crowd's behind you, it would just drive you forward. Right. And, and you see in whether it's supercross or Lucas Oil pro motocross, when the fans are going crazy, it just would propel those guys on. And if it could work the other way too, if you are the one getting chased down and you just hear the crowd going crazy, you, that would be so discouraging because you know, they're cheering for this rider to catch you. Now, the only effect I think it's going to have without a crowd now is I think the rider is going to feel less pressure. I think the races, whether it's a heat race or the main event or what have you, I think the guys are going to be less nervous than they normally would be. There's not going to be all of this high drama with opening ceremonies and fireworks and the crowd noise and cannons and all these things. It's going to be much more calm than that. There won't be people in the stands. We're going to be racing during the daytime and it's going to feel more like practice than at any other point, you know, cause if you remember these, the time practices have a gate drop. So it's, it's going to feel very much like that. Now there will be pressure for the, the guys in the championship chase, but I think it, that's, that's the one change I think is instead of all these nerves that guys have that those are going to be much reduced and it's, they're going to ride looser than normal because of all those things I just mentioned, the daytime, no fans, no, you know, uh, cert, you know, all the pomp and circumstance that we normally have at supercross is all going to be gone. And it's just going to be these guys getting a gate drop and putting in laps. So we'll see how that plays out, who it helps or who it hurts. But that's just one thing I see. Also want to talk to you guys last but not least about premier vapor blasting of Georgia and you know, Brandon is my contact over there and the work that they've been doing has been so cool. And one of my buddies here in Boise has been doing some, uh, bike restoration stuff. And I have been pushing him towards premier vapor blasting of Georgia, because if you're going to restore a bike or if you're even going to work on your bike, I don't know how you can do a better job of it than something like premier vapor blasting. They literally turn old bikes into new bikes and they, it's not just you know, it's not just parts for your bike. They can do boots and they can do other things too. But on a restoration level, it's truly remarkable to check out. So go to their Instagram, Premier Vapor Blasting, and see what they can do for your bikes. So that's going to do it for this week of industry seating. A little bit shorter, but again, this is the last one we have without racing. Next Sunday, when I record this, it's going to be after the race. And I'm super excited for that. We'll have the race review right around that same time, but this is the last one in this whole pandemic of no racing. So thank the Lord for that. Thank all of you for listening. It's going to get much better from here. We're on our way back. It's almost go time. Thank you to all the sponsors and we will see you soon.